Good morning, Anchor Church. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Good to see you all. If you're joining us online, welcome. Glad to have you all worshiping with us this morning. We are continuing in our Roman series today, but before I, before I dive into the message, I wanted to talk about these a little bit, these invite cards. Um, Dylan, Dylan, I'm going to correct you on something, something you said. Um, you said grab one. There's a lot of these, so grab as many as you'd like. Um, and here's, here's why I say grab as many as you'd like. Uh, I'd like to tie everything, <laughs> everything that I do and believe back to Scripture, right? So I'm going to read you a, a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. So, uh, he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. It says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and they didn't have deep roots, and they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, the seed in this parable is um, it's, it's a metaphor for the gospel. It's a metaphor for sharing the gospel with people. And today, I want to look at, I, wanna, I want us to see this as a seed, right? It, this isn't the gospel. This is just an invitation for people to have, come and have an experience with the presence of God at church, right? But I see this as a seed. And if you look at this parable, Jesus gave four instances where, where uh, on ground where seed fell, right? Um, the footpath, it died, right? Or the birds came and eat it, uh, ate it. The shallow soil sprouted up, but the hot sun killed it. The, the thorns, the thorns choked it out, but then it fell, then it fell on good, good soil, right? So there's four instances where seed fell. 75% of the seed that was thrown out didn't produce any fruit. So let's think about these as seed, right? If, if that principle holds true and 75% of the seed isn't going to produce fruit, how do we spread the gospel more? We got to get more seeds out there. We got to throw seeds out. So one, one's a good start. Let's, let's, let's throw a lot of seeds out. Let's, let's invite people into what God is doing here at Anchor Church. I think um, I, I love this church, and I love you all, and I love like, what God is doing, and um, I just I want more people to be a part of it. And so let's, uh, let's throw out as many seeds as we can, and, and let's, let's see the Lord and the, the harvest that he brings. So... Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, or, or turn them on to Romans chapter 9. We're diving in uh, to Romans again. We're continuing in Romans. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans since uh, February, and it's been awesome. It's been good. It's been um, deep. It's been difficult. Um, it's been encouraging. It's been all the, all the different emotions, um, and we're going to continue today. Uh, but first, I just I, I wanted to share some a thought I had with you as I was putting this together. Um, yesterday, I was having a conversation with Abraham Perez. If you don't know who Abraham Perez is, he attends Anchor. He's awesome. Get to know him. Um, he's he's really cool, really cool guy. But I was having a, a conversation with him, and the topic of people watching came up. 
Do you guys know what people watching is? Yeah, I see people shaking their heads. The, the, the topic of people watching came up, and um, if you've never like taken time to people watch, it's fascinating. It really is. It's fascinating. It's, it kind of sounds creepy. It's not. Um, it's fascinating. When I was a, a poor Bible college student, um, me and a buddy of mine, for, for fun, right, this is what we did because we didn't have any money, we would drive to a park near the Omaha airport in Nebraska, and we'd park for free, then we'd walk to the baggage claim area of the airport, and we'd find a bench, and we'd just sit and watch people. Again, not as creepy as it sounds, right? Like, there was no creepy intentions. um, But we would go watch people and go, like, discover all the little idiosyncrasies of people. Because when when people don't know you're watching them, when people aren't putting on their best face, when they're not putting their best foot forward, you see the real them, right? And, And if you learn to observe, you can learn just about anything from anyone, I think. And so we would do this, and it was, like, it was kind of like our fun little thing. But um, I was taught as a young leader that you can learn anything from anyone if you want to. You can learn anything from anyone if you want to. And most times, people think they can only learn from certain types of people. You can only learn from uh, someone if they're a teacher or if they're uh, trained in some sort of way. Or maybe like we, can only, we only listen to famous people because somehow they have more credibility or you know, whatever. But I was taught as a young leader that you can learn something from anybody if you learn to observe. And that's what I want to do today. That's what I want us to do going forward. I don't want us to ever just do the good Christian checklist thing where we come to church and we sit because that's what a good Christian would do. I want us to, I want us to take this opportunity to learn. Like, let's take the opportunity to learn something about God and about life today. I don't, I don't want us to ever do the, the good Christian checklist thing where we pray and read the Bible because that's what we're supposed to do. Every time we approach the scriptures, we have an opportunity to learn something. And, and that's why um, one of our core values here is learning. We want to be students of the Word of God because there's always something to learn from it. We have a real opportunity to learn about God and life every time we approach the scriptures. And today what I want to do is I want to people watch the scriptures. I want, I want to look at the scriptures and make some observations and see what the scriptures have to teach us about just about life, about faith today. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into our text. But first, would you pray with me? Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you, God, that you've given it to us to... Um, to teach us. You've given it to teach us about you, to teach us about ourselves. You've given it to teach us about life. And God, I just pray today that that our hearts would be open to receive your truth, that we would learn the, the truth that you have for us, and that we would hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, you can open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. And um, before I start reading the scriptures, I say this every week, whenever I preach, I always preach from a perspective of there and then. If you don't know what that means, 
What do you mean, Pastor Ryan? You preach from a perspective of there and then. This is what I mean. If we're going to understand how the Bible applies to our lives here and now, we first have to understand what was going on there and then. We have to understand the context that the Scripture was written in to understand what it means for us here and now. So, Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Obviously, the Apostle Paul is expressing his his grief for his people here. They have missed the Messiah. Since God made them a people back in with, with Moses, when he, he took them out of Egypt and he made them a nation, they've been waiting for Messiah. They've been waiting for someone to come save them. And now Jesus is here and he's come and he's gone. And largely the Jewish people have rejected him. And this is breaking the Apostle Paul's heart. It's breaking his heart. And it's, this is revealing to me too because the Apostle Paul, his assignment was to Gentiles. His assignment was to, to share the gospel with non-Jewish people. But it, sa- it says here, my heart, it, my heart bleeds for my people, my brothers and sisters, my, my Jewish people. My heart is, is breaking for them. His, his missionary assignment was to non-Jews, but wherever he went, he always brought the gospel to the Jew first. That's how he, that's how he says it. And, and just for clarity, when when he says, when he's talking about the Jews here, he's not talking about all Jews because not all Jews rejected Jesus. Some Jews did accept Jesus and they put their faith and trust in him and he's happy for that. His heart is breaking for the ones who, who have chosen to reject Jesus as the Messiah. They have not come to put their faith and trust in him yet. Verse four, they are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. The tragedy of of Israel's current abandonment of, of Jesus as the Messiah is compounded based on the advantages that they have over non-Jews. And he lists the advantages just, just now. They're adopted by God. The Jewish people were adopted by God as his people. God revealed his glory to them. God made covenants with them. God gave his law to them. God gave them the privilege of worshiping him. God um, gave them promises. They received the promises of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are their ancestors. And even Jesus was a Jew. Paul sees these things as advantages over everyone else. And even with all those advantages, they still missed Messiah, his heart is breaking for his people. His heart grieves for them. Verse 6, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. This verse, in my estimation, is about personal accountability. This verse is about personal accountability. It's... it's not your family's responsibility to make sure that you don't miss it. It's not um, your pastor's responsibility to make sure you don't miss it. You and you alone are responsible for, for discovering the Messiah, right? 
And this is the logical place to start because people have been questioning God's ability to, to fulfill his promises, right? He, he made all these promises and thousands of years have gone by and people are questioning, can God really fulfill all these promises that he made? And, and, and Paul is, he's, he's addressing that right here. No, no, it's not God's fault. No, he hasn't failed. He hasn't, he hasn't failed to fulfill his promises, Verse 7, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. In my opinion, this portion that we just read puts to bed the idea that faith in God is somehow racial. Right? It somehow has to do with our bloodline, or like there are certain races of people that don't get to ha- be like included in the family of God. That's nonsense, according to the scripture. Our faith in Jesus has nothing to do with our bloodlines. Our, our justification, our salvation has nothing to do with any of that. Nothing. He says, the children of the promise are truly Abraham's children. Now, this phrase, children of the promise, is, is another phrase that's greatly understood in Christians, greatly misunderstood in Christian circles. Um, a lot of people read that children of the promise phrase and assume it has something to do with predestination. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago, predestination, um, the idea that God God created some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell, and, and he created some people to accept Christ and some people to reject Christ. This is nonsense, in my opinion. This isn't what this children of promise thing is about. When, when the Apostle Paul refers to this children of the promise of Abraham, what he's referring to is Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, where um, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of earth shall be blessed. This is the promise that Paul is talking about. The, the promise that was made to Abraham, this is the promise. That through, through faith in God, we're going we're gonna to be saved, right? Through, through uh, faith, uh, grace by faith, we are justified in the eyes of God. Further proof that, further proof that faith has nothing to do with like bloodlines or like, like you know, that, that kind of thing. Like physical lineage is the story of Rahab. I've talked about this before. Rahab in the book of Joshua, she is a pagan prostitute. That means she's non-Jewish and she worships another God and she was a prostitute. And she put her faith and trust in Yahweh and he said, you're in. You're in. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for your faith and your trust to be in me. It doesn't matter if you were born into this thing or not. Is your faith in me? If so, you're in. That, that's more proof that it has nothing to do with physical lineage. Verse 9, for God had promised, I will, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of Scripture, 
I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now, this last verse may cause some confusion, especially with what we talked about last week, right? We talked about the love of God and how God, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does right now. He loves all the way, all the time, right? Like that's, that's what we learned last week in, in Romans 8. But this kind of seems to contradict that a little bit. Some versions say, uh, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. Some versions use the word hate. Now, it's, I need to bring a little bit of clarity to this, so stick with me, okay? I'm going to get a little bit ac- academic, but it's necessary to understand this text. Sometimes when you're translating something from one language to another, thing, ideas get lost in translation, okay? Um, this happens because language is largely cultural, Okay? When you don't understand the culture that a language comes from, you're going to miss certain things. Certain things aren't going to make complete sense. And another reason things get lost in translation is some languages have more words than other languages. I'll give you an example. In English, we have the word love, right? We have one word love, and it conveys a certain idea. Now, I love my wife. I love my kids, But the way I love her is different than the way I love my kids. But I use the same word to describe it, right? You guys have been on this health journey with me. You guys know I love food. But I love food differently than I love my wife. And I love food differently than I love my kids, right? We have one word to convey a feeling. In Hebrew, they have four words for our word love. And they all convey different ideas. So, when, thing, when, when, when things are translated from, from Hebrew to English, sometimes they lose its meaning because we don't have the, the adequate words to describe. So, going back to verse 13, when Paul quotes the scripture here, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau, that word that we translate to love is, is better understood as to be well pleased with, to be contented with. So, like, A better way to understand this verse would be, Jacob, I have favored. Esau, I have not favored. That's a better way to understand this. And and to me, that separates God's love from his favor. God loves everybody all the the way, but he's favored us differently. And, And it doesn't mean he loves us less, right? It doesn't mean he loves us more. He's just favored us differently. It's It's kind of a hard concept to wrap your head around, but this is, this is reality. Verse 14, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. These last few verses, um, Paul is the Apostle Paul is quoting Exodus 33, 19, um, and, and he's doing so to bring God's mercy into focus along with God's sovereignty and his justice. And God is completely within his rights to favor whomever he wants. He's completely within his rights to, to bestow favor and compassion on whoever he wants, right? And, but, but he does have mercy. He does have pity, as well. And, and Paul, by quoting this passage, he's actually placing God's mercy right alongside his justice. He's not placing mercy above or below justice. It's, they're the same, right? Mercy and justice are on the same playing field. 
And that's what he's doing here. So the Apostle Paul spends the first eight chapters laying out the gospel and laying out um, hum- humanity's sin and wickedness and, and how we need to be rescued from sin and death. And we need uh, a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. The solution is, is Christ. And then we just read that the Jewish people whom Christ was sent to missed it. The Jewish people, the, 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 the children that God picked first, missed it. They missed it. They've rejected the Messiah, and, and the Apostle Paul, he laments the current state of the Israelites. I believe it's very important to, to understand, to recognize, to identify the correlation between biblical Israel and the church. I think it's really important that we understand there's a correlation there because biblical Israel were the people of God. Well, who's the church? The children of God. We are now the children of God. We are Abraham's true descendants now. And there's a correlation. If we're not careful, the church is just as likely to fall into the traps of apathy and arrogance as Israel was. This pastor doesn't want to see that happen for this church. This pastor doesn't want to see that happen for the big C church, the body of Christ. I want us to understand the things of God. I I don't want us to miss mighty moves of God like Israel did. There are a few observations I want to make of this scripture today. A A few observations of this text that I think are very important going forward to us for us to understand like just basic foundations for for our faith right first observation i want to talk about today is this heart for the lost that's the first observation a heart for the lost we need a heart for the lost romans chapter 9 verse 3 this is paul he said i would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Like I mentioned earlier, Paul's, uh, Paul's assignment, his missionary assignment was to non-Jews. But his, his heart broke for Jewish people as well. So Paul's heart for the lost was so great. His love for all people was so great that he'd be willing to give up his own justification, his own salvation, if that would save anybody. Now it doesn't, and he explains that earlier in, the, in, in Romans, but he's, he's trying to make a point that seeing people come to know Christ is that important that I'd be willing to give it up for myself if I could. And I read this, and this is incredibly convicting for me because the, the questions I begin to ask myself is, man, do I feel that way about lost people? Do I feel that way about lost people? Would I be willing to go that far to see the lost come to salvation? The Apostle Paul's heart for the lost is is so great. His love for people is so great that he's willing to lay down his life physically and spiritually for them. I think we should take notice of this. A heart for the lost is so important as a Christ follower. Um, Charles Spurgeon was uh, a Baptist pastor in England in the mid-1800s, and he was famous for his books and his sermons and his thoughts about God and and spirituality and all that. Um, But there's one of his quotes that stands out to me, and to me it illustrates this, this idea of having a heart for the lost brilliantly. It says, If sinners be damned, 
At least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies, our being Christ followers, right? If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. This is the heart and mindset that we need as Christ followers. This stuff is literally life and death. In, in the United States, we've become so conditioned to it that we, like, we don't see it that way anymore, but it is literally life and death. We need to have a heart for the lost. We need to bleed. Our hearts need to bleed for the lost because Christ's heart bleeds for the lost. And I believe that apathy is impossible for us when our hearts are geared towards those who don't know him yet. It's, it's really hard to, to live in arrogance when we understand the amount of people who don't know God, who need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Because there's a, there's a sickness in the world, right? There's a, there's a sickness. That sickness is sin. That sickness is death. That sickness is wickedness. That sickness is evil. That sickness is lostness. And we have a cure to that sickness inside of us. It's the hope and grace and love and mercy of Jesus. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We have to give it away. We have to give it away. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul, he says this. He says as much. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Another way to say good news is gospel. Work at telling others the gospel and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. I'm a pastor, yes. It is not my job to grow this church. It is our job to grow this church. God has given each and every person here a ministry. God has given each and every person here his love to pour out. He goes on and says in verse 6, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I think it's an incredible illustration. Think of a cup of water and just pouring it out, pouring it out as an offering. God has poured out, or uh, he's poured out his life as an offering. He's given away everything that God has given him so that some people might come to know him. Are we doing that? Do we have that kind of heart for the lost? So that's the first observation I wanted to make today. We need a heart for the lost. Not that we save anyone, but that God does the work through us, right? Second observation I want to make today is this. God's children are richly blessed. The children of God are richly blessed. Romans 9, 4 and 5. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them, gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite. Like I said, the Apostle Paul lists off these, these eight blessings, these eight um, realities of, of being a child of God. I think it's really easy for us to lose focus of the good things that we have. I think it's human nature to focus on what we don't like. 
It's human nature to focus on what's going wrong. It's human nature to focus on what needs to get better and miss everything that God is doing good. It's human nature. And Paul is saying, my people have missed it. We've forgotten to see what God is doing. My people have missed it. God has blessed us. He's given us so much, and you're focusing on the wrong things. A lot of times we think, man, if I can just get a different job, my life will be better. Man, maybe, maybe if I had a different spouse, there wouldn't be so many problems. Man, maybe, maybe I'll just go to a different church. Some people think that. Maybe if I just go to a different church where they do the things that I like, man, things will be better. And I think, I think we, we say these things to ourselves, forgetting how richly God has blessed us, and, and we're focusing on the wrong things. There's an old saying, right? You all have heard it. The grass is greener on the other side. Well, here's reality. The grass is greenest where you water it. That's reality. If you're thinking about, man, things will be better if, it's going to be way greener over there. But if you're thinking about, man, God has done this in my life, man, that grass is going to be really green. If you're thinking, man, God is doing cool things in our church, man, that grass is going to be really green. The grass is greenest where you water it. Dwell on the things. Think of the things that, that God has blessed you with. Think of the, the good things. When we do that, we stay well away from apathy and arrogance, right? Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 11 and 12 say, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is uh, to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, at any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living uh, in plenty or in want. I believe the secret to contentment is remembering that we're blessed and remembering that God is our strength and not focusing on what we don't have or not focusing on the things that aren't going just perfectly. There's, there's never going to be a perfect job, right? There's never going to be the perfect spouse. There's never going to be the perfect church. So if, if you're constantly looking for the thing that's always perfect, you're going to be let down every time. Remember the blessings God has given you. So first observation, we need a heart for the lost. Second observation, um, the children of God are richly blessed. The last observation I want to make today is this. God is ultimately sovereign. God is ultimately sovereign. Romans chapter 9, 15, and 16 say, For God said to Moses, I'll show, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. I believe this, these two verses point to the absolute sovereignty of our God in all matters. Is God unfair? Of course not. He's the one who gets to decide uh, how things go. He's the one who gets to decide uh, to show mercy to. He's the one who decides to show grace. He's the one who sets the standard. Of, of course he's not unfair. Some people equate sovereignty to power. Um, and I don't believe that's what the Bible talks about when it talks, when it talks about God's sovereignty. It's not talking about power necessarily. 
The Bible uses, the, the, the word the Bible uses for sovereignty has to do with royal authority, control. So when I say God is sovereign, what I mean is he's ruling and reigning from his throne over all of creation. He's in 100% control. Now, when I say he's in control, I don't mean that he causes all things to happen, right? God's not responsible for war, right? God um, doesn't cause people to be sick, right? That's not what I'm saying. When I say God is in control, I'm saying God has given human beings the, abil the ability to choose and then experience the consequences of our choices, good or bad. But despite what we choose, everything is moving to his end game. Everything is going to end the way he wants it to, no matter what we choose. That is what I mean by God being in control. That is what I mean by ultimately God is sovereign. And when we realize his sovereignty, how could we ever settle into apathy? How could we ever settle into arrogance? Worship team, come to the platform. These are some pretty important observations, I think, um, that we need to hold on to. We need to have a heart for the lost. Uh, we need to remember that we are richly blessed. And we need to remember that God is sovereign. He's ultimately the one in control. And I believe remembering these, these ideas, remembering these principles will keep us from experiencing the same fate the Israelites experienced where they missed, missed the moves of God. They missed the things that God had for them. Remembering these principles, living these principles will keep us from apathy and arrogance. Having, having a heart for the lost will not only grow God's church, it'll change the complexion of our city. Because like Paul, we pour ourselves out. We pour out all the love that God has given us, and, and we change a city by loving it. Be powerful. Remembering we're richly blessed will keep us content in the Lord no matter what comes our way. No matter what, no matter how we feel, no matter what circumstances arises, when we realize how blessed we are, there's peace. We get to live in peace. Remembering that God is ultimately sovereign should give you peace as well, knowing that he's got you in the palm of his hand. Let me pray for you today. God, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you, God, that, that you use it to encourage. You use your word to exhort. You use your word to correct. You use your word to love us. God, I pray today that we would receive the message that you have for us. You want us to have a heart for the lost. You want us to realize that we're richly blessed. You want us to remember that we're richly blessed. You want us to, to know that you are ultimately sovereign. God, I pray for anybody in the room today who may, who may be having an issue in one of these areas. Maybe, maybe someone doesn't, doesn't necessarily have a heart for the lost like, like you have. Or, or maybe somebody doesn't see all the blessings that, that you've given them. Or maybe somebody doesn't understand your sovereignty. I pray, God, that you would continue to draw them closer. Continue to draw them closer to yourself through your Holy Spirit and reveal more to them. Reveal your truth to them. Reveal more of yourself to them in the name of Jesus.
In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're in the room today and you're not a child of God, you're not, you're not a child of the promise, today could be the day where that changes for you. Today could be the day where, where you put your old self aside, you put your old life aside, and you begin to walk in the newness that Christ offers. If your faith and trust are not in him as Lord, if, if, if you aren't walking with him today, but you want to, at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with. I want to, I want to pray with you today to receive Christ and to become a child of God. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to point anyone out. Um, I just want to pray. There's nothing magical about raising your hand. I just, I need to know who I'm praying with. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, or I used to, but I walked away, and I want to come home. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand at the count of three. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him now. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand. Raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. Raise it up high. What I want to do right now is I want to lead us in a prayer. Whether you raised your hand or not, whether you, um, whether you took the step to, to say, yeah, I need Jesus, or, or you, and you just know in your heart you need to make things right with him, I want to lead us in a prayer right now. Whether you're in the room or you're online with us, I want to ask everyone in the room to repeat this prayer after me so that nobody feels singled out, nobody feels um, like I'm picking on them. So um, repeat after me. Say, Father God, Today I recognize that salvation is available to all who call on your name. I recognize that I'm justified in your sight. When I put my faith and trust in you and I confess that I've fallen short of your standard and I repent, I become your child. I receive your forgiveness, and I'm asking that you make me new. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, or, or maybe you, you came back to faith, and that's awesome. I love that. If you did, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, welcome to the family of God. We don't want you to do this thing, this journey alone. We don't want you to go through through faith alone. If you did pray that prayer to receive Christ, we have resources for you. Come talk to me or, or talk to somebody at our info table and, and let us put some resources in your, your hand to get you started off on the right foot. Um, if, if you are online and you, you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for worshiping with us. Let us know so we can get some resources to you somehow, some way. So um, what I want to do right now, I just want to take a moment, and I just want to respond. I want to respond in your own way. I want to respond to the Spirit of God. You can stand and sing. Uh, you can sit and meditate. You can sit and pray. You can, I mean, I just, I want us to respond. So the, the prayer team is going to come up. 
Um, they're going to be available for prayer if you want. If you want someone to pray for you, uh, come see Stacy or Kevin. They love prayer. They love praying with people, and um, what you share with them stays between you two. They just love praying, so they don't like report back to me or anything like that. So, um, but I just want to take a moment. The worship team is going to lead a song, and I just want us to respond to the message. I want us to respond to the Spirit of God today. So. Um, if you'd like, stand, stand with me, and, and uh, the worship team is going to lead us this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's because you gave someone else a heart for the loss that I was found. Thank you, God, that you richly blessed me. And thank you, God, that you are in control. Because if I was in control, things would fall apart. We look to you this morning, God. We look to you this morning. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh, really quickly, before I dismiss, just have a couple of next steps that I want to give us. These next steps are something that we can do to, to tangibly take the message and, and live it out this week. There's just two this week, two next steps. The first one, this week I will invite someone to come to church with me. Really easy. Easier said than done. Sometimes we build it up in our mind to be this, this thing, but I think some people are just waiting to be invited. Some people want to come. They're just waiting to be invited. So this week... I will invite someone to come to church with me. And then this week I will memorize Romans 9:16. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Remember that he's sovereign today. Remember that he's sovereign this week. God gets to decide. Let me say one final prayer for you and we can be dismissed. God, thank you. Thank you for this church, and thank you for people who are devoted to you, God. They're devoted to you and devoted to your cause and devoted in, to, to growing in relationship with you, God. Thank you that I get to be a part of a church like that. God, reveal yourself to us this week. Let us, let us have a fresh encounter with you this week as we're driving or maybe as we're sitting at, at work or, or maybe as we're just, you know, doing, I don't know, working on our car or whatever. Whatever we're doing, the, the normal everyday things, God, let us encounter you in those moments this week. We love you, God. Thank you. And finally, may your heart bleed for the lost like Christ's does. May you remember that you are richly blessed by God right now. And may you rest in the ultimate sovereignty of God, our Heavenly Father. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.